0: Welcome to our second podcast that we're preparing for the um, call and chain series from the Institute for Technology and Network Economics. I'm Bronwyn Howell and I'm in Wellington, in, in Tehoro in New Zealand, a little farther north of Wellington. And my colleagues I have, my colleague from ITNE I have with me today is Professor Pietras Potgisa, who is in Pretoria, South Africa and John Howell, who is a um, consulting engineer for NTT Networks in Wellington, New Zealand. Welcome gentlemen. We've been thinking over the past few weeks about the challenges that the coronavirus epidemic has put up for telecommunications networks, and in our previous podcast we focused very much on the issues that domestic use of the technology has done in in stressing the networks and what different responses could be used to help mitigate some of those effects at the residential level, particularly as individuals are working from home quite a lot more now. On the other hand, there's also been some different challenges that have been thrown up for businesses as a consequence as well. And in this podcast, we're going to focus on those sorts of challenges.
1: Thank you, Bronwyn. So, um, virtual private networks or VPNs are commonly commonly used in business to ensure access to the inside of a network when employees are working from home or off site in some other way. Uh, the point this for them to access services that are corralled within the company firewall. Um, and that used to be probably not a very everyday occurrence. Um, a lot of companies, as far as I know, had, let's say hundreds of VPN accounts, uh, full thousands of employees. Do you want to say something, John, just about the general picture there of usage?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, previously, uh, um, the the use of the VPNs were to provide access to protected resources inside a network, but they also added the ability to protect a client in an untrusted network so that it was um, uh, given better protection from anything that might be in its local network trying to attack it as well, which there could then be used as a bridgehead to try and get into the corporate network uh, if that laptop was attacked, had some malware loaded onto it, and then came back into the corporate office, started up, and then would distribute whatever payload it had. Infected on it from there, so it was I was offering um, two major uh, benefits there uh, it also meant that from an IT point of view, a machine connected via a VPN could just be treated as if it was already trusted and uh, could then be given access to resources inside the network uh, that would normally be completely restricted or might require further authentication to uh, log into so uh, generally it was only given to um mobile workers who really needed a reason to access corporate networks out in the wild they might be cafe warriors who are uh, sitting there um in a remote uh, location yeah meeting clients and needed access to a back end system for billing or for providing quotes and invoicing and then it sort of has grown as it became actually more popular, that it was almost given to every machine that had um, that was a laptop, because all laptops might be taken out of the office at some point, and it was better that they were protected than not. So uh, corporations or uh, enterprises which had a VPN solution, it really wasn't any extra work to maintain a fleet of 100 or 150 clients with a VPN connection, as opposed to uh, just giving it to 10 or 15 of the most uh, mobile users, because once the method to deploy it is set up and secured, it can be easily scaled out and be given to as many machines as you need. Um, So that's sort of where where it's grown up until, uh, like this year, where it's rarely taken off in terms of usage.
1: Okay, so um, the second use which you mentioned is something that I had never thought about. So that's purely to protect network traffic while a worker is sitting in a Starbucks, for example, um, and just checking the news. Um, so would that mean then that all the internet traffic for that user would be routed to the corporate network, so maybe to head office or uh, technology, the technology department, and then out in the wide, into the wider internet?
2: That's definitely the safest way to deploy it. Uh, It's what you call uh, full tunnel encapsulation, where basically once the VPN is dialed up, everything the client does goes to the corporate network as if it was on the corporate network. And it can't see anything in its local network, and it can't see... a direct route out to the internet from wherever it is. It always has to go back in through the corporate network. What can happen though is that that actually puts quite a load on the corporate systems, especially if you have a lot of connections. So a, a, Microsoft's previous way of dealing with this uh, with their standard VPN environment was called direct access, and what that did by default was only direct the co- traffic which was intended for the corporate network into the corporate network, but it still left the client exposed on um, the Public network and its traffic was going directly out of the public network gateway from there, and that's called a split tunnel, where um, the, the traffic is direct, yeah, where it's split. So corporate traffic goes through the corporate VPN, public traffic to the public internet, and everything else uh, goes straight out through the local gateway. Um, a more recent variation on that is called inverse split tunneling, where Uh, Because a lot of environments now have cloud-based networks uh, like Office 365 or Teams um, and video systems like uh, YouTube and or Netflix being used uh, from the corporate um, laptops and corporate devices, the corporations don't want all that traffic necessarily running through their VPN as well as all their corporate traffic. So an inverse split tunnel uh, allows some public access to known, trusted sites out through the local network, and everything else goes through the corporate network to be filtered by the corporate firewalls.
1: I see. That's super interesting. So if you're a corporate user, you wouldn't necessarily know whether you are using split tunneling or inverted tunneling or inverse tunneling, uh, which you mentioned.
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, so g- generally uh, that would be all set up through IT policies and the, uh, um, and the VPN client that you're using, depending on how they're set up. Uh, Microsoft's latest version in Windows 10 is aimed around having a tunnel always establish itself automatically. Uh, when the, you, as soon as the user sees a network connection, it establishes the tunnel and does it all in the background. Um, other systems might have an icon that you set up. um so that after you've connected to a Wi-Fi network, you then have to click another uh, link to dial the tunnel. Um, and that, that really again depends on the, the corporate backend, what's been set up for that VPN and the authentication requirements around it.
0: So, John, when we now consider this in the coronavirus-type world, initially we might have most people within the firm and only a few people working remotely, but then suddenly overnight we've now got most people working remotely and very few within the firm. I guess that's been quite a stress on these networks, if they've been set up and calibrated for different assumptions and for different applications.
2: Definitely. Part, part of a business's disaster recovery plan was probably always going to include, well, we should make sure that if everyone was working remotely that they can access everything they need. Uh, but often testing that sort of um, access for real is uh, very um, invasive on the business. You can't really shut down the shop to test that sort of access and kick everyone out. Um, some places might have live fire testing where they might say all their IT people are locked out from the office and you have to ensure that you can work, um, remotely and support users remotely. Um, if say, uh, um, uh, bomb scare was called on your building or your, or your local floor was flooded or you were denied access to your office and all your core IT people had to move out. So that, that was often tested in a, in a live fire uh, sort of situation. Um, but it was really, really hard to test it for a full corporation. So what this really has shown is that, um, one, one big fear was that the New Zealand public internet wasn't going to be able to hold up under five million people having to work from home. And, uh, the, the public internet has actually held up really well, but it has shown that, um, the corporate gateways scaled for maybe 20 or 30% of their workforce using these VPNs has suddenly had 100% of their workforce using these VPNs. Um, and in general, if they didn't have the spare capacity, the performance would, would definitely suffer. Um, so, because John, basically, did... sorry.
1: No, no, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, and and the impact on that is uh, an unreliable communication and connection from the client's point of view. To them, it just looks like everything has suddenly stopped because uh, the, the pipe's full and everyone's trying to squeeze in like a traffic jam.
1: Yeah, so would it be correct to say that if you had a full VPN, so not split or inverse VPN, and all the traffic went first to the corporate IT department, that you'd basically then look at the doubling of traffic. So instead of traffic, if uh, I consider the, let's say, the firewall between the corporate environment and the outside world, if everybody is in the office, then the traffic crosses once and comes back. Um, But if people are working from home and And using the VPN, that means that everything goes into the corporate network, out again, back in and out again. So uh, is that a roughly correct assessment?
2: Yeah. So it's basically from the the client's browser point point of view, it um, requests a, a connection to a website. It might be a corporate intranet, in which case... That's, would just go straight in through the tunnel, uh, connect to the corporate internet on, uh, on the inside, and that traffic would then come back out to the client, and they'd see it on their display. Of course, then when you go to YouTube, you make a corporate, you make a request to go to, to YouTube, it comes in through the corporate, corporate network, through the VPN tunnel, through whatever proxying and security environment is inside the network, back out through the corporate gateway out to YouTube, which then processes a request, and sends a copy of your video back to the corporate network, in through the gateway, which then routes back out through the VPN to the client. So, yep, you're absolutely right. Huge doubling in the traffic. Uh, it's what we call hairpinning, you know, because the traffic comes in, turns around, goes straight back out again. Yeah, and so... Uh, keep going, go
0: ahead, just, I was going to say, of course, the other issue is because um, in New Zealand, we may have people... Because in New Zealand, we tend to have one central place, but people may be just distributed several hundred kilometres away, So Mm -hmm. I might be working in Wellington, for example, on a system that is domiciled in Auckland, which is 500 kilometres away. So we've got multiple things going on. We've got multiple transmissions over long distances, log jams through the the gate there and double the traffic and all sorts of potential reasons why things might appear slow, even Mm -hmm. though... The chorus network in New Zealand is working perfectly well and the backhaul is going flat out and everything's going perfectly there. It's not a telco problem, it's just a function of the way these particular systems handle the traffic.
2: Mhm. I mean l- luckily New Zealand's actually quite geographically small so uh from like Christchurch to Auckland and back again so say you had a, a company whose uh, head office is actually uh, in Christchurch but their uh, IT infrastructure might be run out of a data center in Auckland the the client hits an ISP connection in their local region gets routed through the ISP's internal network um to uh, a gateway, which then may cross to another ISP, which hosts the company's corporate gateway and then into the gateway from there. And every one of these little hops adds a little bit more delay to the traffic. But because New Zealand is actually so small, you're talking less than 500 milliseconds being added to um, a hop uh, for that from one end of the country and back again. You had a much bigger delay as soon as you go to an overseas site. So generally, if you're talking to something which is hosted inside New Zealand, uh, you'll be getting really good response. But as soon as you jump overseas, then then you get longer longer responses. So generally, inside New Zealand, even a VPN which is hairpinning and going up and down the country, as long as the corporate gateway is big enough, the delays aren't that bad.
0: But if of course the server, the, yeah, the, the applications are being hosted in Sydney or Singapore, um, then yep. of course the problems uh, exacerbate
2: there. Then it's exacerbated because then it comes out of the corporate gateway and through the international gateways used by the ISPs, um, and then goes through the backhaul to uh, whatever destination it is. And especially cloud services like um, uh, Azure and uh, Amazon's uh, um, uh, Cloud Network and uh, Office 365, um, those aren't hosted in New Zealand. So all of those data centers are overseas, which is often sometimes why government clients haven't been able to use them because that means the data is offshore. But a lot of general corporates have got no problems uh, with that. And so that the data, yeah, it all goes there.
1: Yeah, we're fortunate in that regard in South Africa that Microsoft Azure now has two locations uh, in Johannesburg and in Cape Town. And I think Amazon Web Services have also just got their local um, uh, locations up and running. Um, It's actually, I think, uh, a moment to give kudos to corporate IT departments because my experience is that with the things that I've had to do, uh, the business recovery plans have been sufficiently good that I have really not noticed anything wrong. So, uh, things have just been happening. So I don't think, um, you know, business, uh, corporate IT departments aren't always the most popular, uh, people in the company, but, uh, things have been running fairly well. Yeah.
0: I know, uh, without breaking any particular client confidentialities, have you got any assessment, John, about how the average, the average corporate system in New Zealand has been holding up in the wake of the extra traffic?
2: Um, well, I, from the, the clients which I have, uh, I've got a, um, a couple of small clients and then some um, uh, large clients as well. Um, one of the problems with being a large client or a large corporation is it's sometimes slower to move on things. So uh, the large client I deal with um, was working with. Um, transforming their business environment and implementing some of these features but they weren't quite ready for prime time when the pandemic hit um, so for them there was a big rush to suddenly bring the system live but because we were implementing something we'd done before it was actually relatively straightforward to to bring it in we did yeah you know, and we got them up and running um, within a few weeks and normally an IT project like that would uh, take a little bit longer while you wait for change controls and people to approve designs and things like that but the pandemic put squeeze on and actually uh, let us get uh, the environment set up very quickly, and then they'll go through the designs later and approve them. For small clients, uh, which were already ready to go, um, the biggest problem has just been the size of their external gateway it may not have been fully sized for all of their users' um, being off-site. So like a, a small client maybe be, um, uh, in New Zealand terms, is maybe 100, 200 users, um, and they they might normally only have 20 or 30 who would be on, uh, off-site or using their equipment off-site, and not even all of those, 20 or 30, would normally be using it at the same time. So those are the ones which are probably noticing the biggest strain on their external gateways. Um, again, the advantage of the big corporations, they tend to really have big, fat pipes and would have been you know, hopefully monitoring their capacity um, during normal business hours, um, so they probably won't have seen such a, um, a strain. Some of them, if they were close to their limits, uh, may have seen a strain, but generally there, there was probably a fair large amount of capacity because, again, a lot of large corporates also now hosted a lot of their systems in the cloud, so they were already sending that traffic outbound um, to uh, external sites anyway, um, and yeah, you know, then it, it takes like a, a very, very large corporation um, with maybe you know, five or six thousand users uh, to have a lot of infrastructure inside the country. Still, um, so you, usually it's only the small, lightweight uh, applications that are still hosted inside um, corporate networks now.
1: Okay, um, so John, uh, the VPN is obviously a point of vulnerability because that gives you a tunnel to the inside of the corporation's IT environment. And I'm assuming that ideally authentication on the VPN is tightly integrated with the corporate authentications. in the case of Microsoft uh, Active Directory Services, um, is Microsoft the main provider of the VPN software that corporate users use to connect or are there other providers?
2: there there's definitely other providers most firewalls uh, you know, at least corporate grade firewalls checkpoint um etc have uh or f you know, five application gateways uh etc have a vPN as a service that that firewall provides and some of those will provide a client that you install on whatever um, device you want to be able to connect to the uh, the vpn um this sort of ranges from free software uh, like open vpn uh which is uh you know, it's an open standards-based um, VPN which runs over exactly the same sort of uh, secure protocols as HTTPS on your web browser, um, and uh, there's, that's quite a, a well-defined standard and has been used for years. Um, corporate firewalls might have um, uh, higher levels of encryption uh, or other protocols uh, such as IPsec, which is um, a little but more secure than the SSH-based firewalls, uh, offers a few uh, different ways to authenticate and encapsulate the traffic. Uh, and Microsoft's current uh, uh, implementation of VPN clients on Windows 10 uh, also just uses um, IPsec as well as its preferred um, connection uh, for for the VPN itself. And authentication can range from uh, having to provide um your, uh, your domain username and your domain password, uh, combined with a security token, and which might be a message sent to an authentication app on your phone, uh, or the old style might be an RSA security token, which has a string of numbers that. Uh, key to um, run a particular pattern at a certain time. And that's called multi-factor authentication, where you have a second token to mix with your username and password credentials. So generally it's something you know, which is your username and password, something you have, which is your token. Um, and that's the two factors that allows you to log in. So if someone steals your password, they won't have your token. If they manage to breach sure. the token, hopefully they won't know your username and password. And the the other uh, way to do it is with signed certificates where the uh, where the VPN server signs a certificate against a certificate authority and then gives that to the client and they use that as their token um, to authenticate
1: sure. um so i know some corporates uh, in south africa still use sms text messages for second factor authentication. Um, So we've seen a lot of uh, bank account problems because of phone number hijacking. Uh, (laughs) What's the situation in New Zealand? Are they still using uh, text messages at all?
2: Um, I think text messages might still be used on some um, large web applications, but generally not for corporates. the The main problem, of course, with SMS is is it relies on the security of your phone uh, system, and no matter how they want uh, how the telcos want to spin it, cell phones are vulnerable, and they're and even the digital voice system that we use and the SMS tracking doesn't guarantee your identity. It's a help but it's not super secure. Uh, it's a little bit like um, you can have keyless entry on your car, uh, which is great until someone steals the key code from your fob and then can get access to your car. SMS is a little bit like that. Corporates will probably still prefer that you stick a key in the lock and turn it, um, and that's generally a more secure token uh, like an RSA security token or the Azure multi-factor authentication, um, which loads a, a different application on your phone. Um, to provide the security token, and that's cryptographically secure. Um, So
1: I think that at least, for example, on my university Microsoft account, uh, if I log on to Office 365 um, or OneDrive, um, I get a text message. So that's a kind of standard from time to time I get a text message. That's a standard thing. So, uh, do you know if you have um, log in onto Office 365 with uh, alternative second-factor authentication? Is that possible? Do you know?
2: Yeah, uh, de- definitely with uh, Microsoft uh, Azure and the Microsoft Office 365, uh, because it uses that um, um, authentication um, uh, method. Uh, it's called ADFS or um, Federated services, uh, active directory federated services, Mm -hmm. and part of that is uh, allowing a multi-factor token uh, to be associated with that. So you could either use the one provided by Azure or you could direct it to another token service like RSA, but that adds licensing costs and things like that. Um, so generally, if you want to spin it up fairly quickly and your corporation is already using uh, Microsoft's cloud services with ADFS, turning on the multi-factor requirements for a particular application uh, generally just requires a little bit of configuration and you're already paying for all the licenses for it anyway. Um so that that 's where it's relatively easy to turn on um of course, the downsides with tokens is uh like you sit down to your computer, especially i' found uh at home, I sit at my computer, which is not my normal workspace. I log in and then I realize oh that 's going to go to my phone, which is upstairs beside right beside my bed <laughs> so uh yeah, it, yeah it's great when you have your token with you it 's annoying when you don't. <laughs>
1: So um, do you have an opinion about uh, my favorite quick and dirty pseudo vpn which I used to use at the university a lot? We had a a gateway machine to connect to the high-performance computing cluster, and there was an SSH account, so you could SSH to the machine, and then you just say SSH minus D9000 or whatever port, so that turns a port on your local machine into a web server. I think you can route other internet traffic over it as well, but that requires some technical knowledge. So mm-hmm. if you're a company of three people, could you do that?
2: Um, yeah, there's lots of uh, systems like that. Um, the, the one which uh, I specifically use for myself at home is OpenSSL VPN, um, mainly because you can stand up a very small server appliance, um, uh, with the uh, SSL backend on it already, and you can tie that in with uh, a simple directory of usernames and passwords to authenticate. And for a small client which might need to get stuff back into some sort of very small office network, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, of course, most small clients these days don't actually have much in their back office anymore. Uh, so there's not a lot for general users to get to. Uh, for someone like me, it's a little bit different because I have to get to the back office systems to be able to keep them running. So, sure. so, I, I, uh, so I really rely on a VPN to give me that secured access into the, the back end of the system to support the, the rest of the networking. But general users um, ac- accessing office uh, applications, are, uh, they might be using SharePoint. Uh, Office 365 or uh, Microsoft Teams and other, um, other cloud services like that. That, um that isn't hosted inside the corporate infrastructure anymore. Generally it's just tied into the um, corporate authentication scheme. And uh, maybe an internal SharePoint.
1: Yeah, so I should say uh, we're recording this on Skype uh, with video, which we won't uh, place on the podcast. And we've had been having a three-way Skype conversation across uh, continents, and it's been holding up quite well. And as we discussed in our first podcast in the Call and Change series, uh, the the world's IT or internet infrastructure has served us quite well during this crisis. I I would even say perhaps surprisingly well.